Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. In this episode we're getting a load of Gio. Gio Law is today's guest. As we talk about him growing up above his parents, Chinese takeaway, uh, drawing cartoons from the TV. We talk about some bad clients and Gio shares some client stories. We also talk about social media and how likes affects people's posts. Also agents and advice to people becoming illustrators. Today's podcast is brought to you by Design Cuts. Now Design Cuts, I've talked about them in other podcasts and other videos. There's a referral link down in the description which will allow you to help out the podcast whilst getting some graphic design resources and now they've also added a stock photography part to their website so you can get some great stock photography for a very good price whilst helping out the podcast as i mentioned there's an affiliate link down in the description below also if you like today's guest you can come and see him live at creating waffle live in london on the 6th of july 2019 tickets for that are also in the description of this video or podcast wherever you're listening to it or you can just search creative waffle on eventbrite and the tickets for that event are just 10 pounds and you'll learn a lot about the business side of design and also hear a few talks from matt roth uh, Gio Law and a few other creatives and whilst we record a live Q&A uh, podcast panel too where you can ask the questions so come along get some tickets £10 down in the description bring your friends and I uh, hope to see you there let's get into the podcast welcome to the podcast thank you very much yeah I'm very excited to uh, divulge yeah can we talk a bit about uh, yourself growing up your background um, how you found illustration and, and how you got into doing it full-time yeah uh, so yeah i'm a full-time illustrator i'm based in sheffield i've been an illustrator for the past nine years i've been doing this and uh, a lot of my background is involved in art I, I studied design at university when i was in school i was heavily encouraged by the teachers to carry on drawing um i kind of had aspirations to be an artist and maybe go into video games but that was dashed by my parents uh, my parents were kind of like very they weren't very hardcore like chinese parents but they they tried to you know kind of keep me away from too many lofty creative ambitions they wanted me to be like a lawyer or a doctor and then right. when that became very apparent that my grades weren't very good the things like that they just they just said fine do whatever it is that you want to do your sister can be the the, the accountant oh, yeah. <laughs> so so i got away with that but yeah but a lot, but a lot of the time, I, I was always drawing anyway, all the time, uh, especially when I was a kid, where my parents worked full time in the takeaways and restaurants. And when we moved to Sheffield, I was born in Huddersfield, when we moved to Sheffield, when I was three, they, they were always working downstairs. So they put me in front of cartoons all the time and, um, and they gave me paper and crayons and things. I was, I was always drawing uh, and same with my sister as well. She was the same. And then once we had like our first console, which was a master system that changed, you know, you start to kind of really get into like what video games are in, in regards to like their, their little worlds that you kind of explore. Much like when you watch a cartoon over and over again and you start drawing your own cartoon characters, and drawing your own uh, vehicles, monsters, robots, that kind of thing. It just kind of, that's always been part of me. And then I've managed to kind of marry it into my, uh, my illustration practice i suppose nice yeah so so going back to when you were a kid in the uh in the, is it above the chinese shop takeaway shop was that where you were is that where you were situated and drawing in front of the tv or is that just in home yeah that's right no it was above the chinese takeaway so well yeah. the, the, the restaurant at the time so a lot of the time we were just left to our own devices um so yeah but what sort of stuff were you drawing that just like just drawing stuff from tv drawing the cartoons just yeah. I was drawing a lot of stuff from like TV, so a lot of like Disney characters, Transformers, oh. and then I was obsessed with Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> I was really obsessed oh. with Sonic the Hedgehog. 
uh, and all the worlds and stuff. So I used to get my parents to buy me the books. Uh, they used to have like comic books. They used to have like game books, stories, all that kind of thing. And I was just obsessed with like those worlds. So a lot of the time, um, I would just kind of like almost like doodle as well. So I wouldn't even draw things necessarily that were on that was on TV or or anything like that. I just just draw my own stuff all the time all the time and I try to carry that on now because I think I see drawing as like uh, it's like a footballer practices free kicks or corners or whatever and you know it's, it's just like a standard thing that they do every day and I think mm-hmm. a sketchbook is your training pitch you know you're going to make mistakes you know you're going to do crap drawings here there and everywhere it's not like you smack a perfect free kick you know nine times out of ten unless you're like super gifted and to be super gifted you have to work for it you know it's it, it, to be gifted is to gift it to yourself <laughs> so you practice you practice a lot that's a really good analogy I like that. yeah uh, <laughs> yeah I, yeah <laughs> so were your parents did they, did they move to england or was it their parents before that your grandparents yes yeah, so my parents they moved to uh, the uk uh, in the early 80s so my dad was from hong kong was from malaysia and they just basically the, the circumstances of how they met is like is quite it's quite unique because they just, you know, it's like through mutual friends and mutual like kind of acquaintances somehow they met, even though they didn't live in the same country. But when they got married, they, they moved to the UK because we have family here already. <clears throat> and uh, so my dad's background was like, he was, always, he was a chef, but he did loads of other things. He wasn't very creative, I don't think, that's what I remember. Uh, he, he was like a taxi driver, a lorry driver, he used to fix radios and then he got to cooking. And my mom, she's kind of slightly... I've started to realize now she's more creative than I thought. She's definitely like a, a bit of a clown and a bit of a joker, but she has got these creative tendencies, which, which I never really kind of saw before. Like yeah. she can, she can doodle and, but she uses maps. So she'll like draw these like kind of shapes and then make these shapes tessellate. And then she'll always be writing numbers. Almost like she's doing like her own Sudoku or something like that. It's really, it's really, really strange. My sister, she was quite creative when we were younger, but, but I think she was technically like, very very good at copying things and kind of like if it was like drawing a still life she could do it really well drawing a portrait mm. she could do it really well but in in regards to like conceptualizing something and making something up on her own I, I, I guess like she would probably struggle with that but she doesn't really she she just kind of doesn't do anything that's creative now so i'm i'm the guy i'm the weird one of the family <laughs> so what do your parents think of it now then obviously you mentioned that they they didn't particularly want you to go into doing drawing for a living. Uh, what do they think of it now? Like now you're doing it full time and now you're really successful at it. Well, I think my mum definitely, she sees the value in what I do now. And, and she'll always ask me like, are you okay for money? Like this, this and that every, well, we meet for breakfast every week. And she says the same thing. Like, do you need any cash? Do you need any cash? <laughs> well, A, not a lot of people carry cash around mum, so it's fine. And B, I'm fine. Uh, <laughs> my dad, he, <laughs> Yeah, my dad's kind of like, he was He was always like the really quiet one, really. He never really kind of vocally told me how, uh, what what he thought about what he did. He he passed away like two years ago. And, uh, um, sorry. But, and sadly, he had passed away with like Alzheimer's. So it's, it's, it's all right. It's actually been one of like the main anchors 
as to how like I've approached my work from here on in, which has been um, which has been quite good. But my dad, he has like like a best friend back in Hong Kong, and uh, he obviously follows me on Facebook and looks at my social media, and he sees the stuff that I do. So whenever they used to like chat on the phone, you know, my dad would tell me, "Oh, your uncle Ken says you're doing really well, and you did this, you did that." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, you could just ask me." But you just know that he wouldn't really understand what it is. Um, he st- I, they started to see the value in it, but they had to really be very patient, like you have to be when you start as a freelancer. You you have to make sure you have some kind of environmental stability around you. So I, as soon as I finished uni, I moved back home. I, I didn't even go to like London like like everyone else did. And this is pre like 2009, you know, market crash. So I, I graduated in 2007. So I went back to my parents. I think they were a bit concerned because they're, they're like, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I mean, to cut a long story short, I was so disillusioned with the whole university experience by the end of it. Like, I loved it. I had some really good friends, really good times. But in regards to, like, the uni work itself, I really struggled. I, I tried to, like, kind of brand myself as, like, I'm a graphic designer. And all the illustration stuff that I wanted to do, the, the certain shooters just couldn't really get on board with it. So I couldn't really get the feedback that I needed to kind of help me push further and so I doubted myself so I just tried to make illustration work that was you know that oh I'll see this in the Guardian I'll see that on the billboard I'm just making work for the sake of it the style was just something that was kind of like cobbled together it's like styles a really interesting thing it's like saying um you like wearing um loads of like hip-hop street street inspired stuff that's a style right that's a sense of style but then all of a sudden you look over and you see this like biker, like a, like a biker gang and they're wearing leather jackets and stuff. And you kind of go, I like that style. I think I should do, I think I should use that style. And you start buying all the leathers and everything. And people should be like, what are you doing? Like, why are you, why are you, that's not you. And it's, it's kind of the same thing. That's kind of how I felt. And so I needed to go home and just recharge. I needed to go home to play games, get out my overdraft, just catch up with friends again and then plan what was ahead and those couple of years back living with my parents were probably the most productive years I ever had because they they supported me they didn't kind of like say you need to go get a job you need to go get a job I just they just let me do my thing and I think if it had gone on for like five years and there was no progress then yeah they would have kind of gone like all right it's time you got a job or something but that's the kind of that's a difficult thing though when when you have parents that don't really understand what what it is that you do what what potential what mm. is you can do because potential is just something that's like in the sky really and yeah, yeah. i don't think parents doubt you but they just kind of think i guess if they don't really understand the world that you're trying to traverse then they just don't have no 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 bearing on it really yeah no i find that and i think it's different generations with my case as well because obviously, obviously my seeing my grandparents then my parents then me it's it's very sort of stagey it's it's got you've got different stages of of working really hard on a job that you love for uh sorry working really hard on your job just just to get money and just for just for working really as the grandparents do and then you go to the parents which are sort of okay they like their job a little bit more they're still working there till the 60 and uh and then or until they get made redundant or get kicked out and they're still sort of in taking very much from their parents and you got me and, and this sort of generation now that are um, that are more creative and more sort of uh, right. We're, we're going to be the revolution. We're going to be the people that change things and uh, not go to university and, and you know, muck around and draw stuff. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's interesting to see that. Um, and I, I find that um, if my parents aren't bothered in what I do or I need to definitely take them through what I do and, and give them a bit more of an understanding because that way they'll, um, they'll, they'll actually appreciate what I'm doing rather than just seeing me yeah. all day. <laughs> <laughs> I admit, I think it was, it was very hard even when I was getting like um, interesting commissions with uh, like, uh, like startups and even like say certain mid-level clients i'd say mm. mid-level like like you have like you have like top level clients that you that you want to aim for and then you have like mid-level like it company that's been around for like years but no one really knows who they are you know they ask you to do like some artwork for a mural or whatever you can show your parents but they don't really recognize the brand it's like well okay well that's good but so then my parents a lot of the time to gauge if it was doing well they'd ask me how much i paid for it yeah. And, and so it's like well, I got paid this much and then they'd be like oh right okay and they, I think they started to notice that like the frequency of the jobs coming in and the and the, and the fees that I could command with, with the more jobs coming in they, they started to get it like they're like oh right okay that's good and then you know eventually the bigger jobs came my way like the Facebooks and the Googles and all that kind of stuff and they, they just oh how much did you get for that and I'm like oh yeah I got this for that and yeah, so I think mum, my mum knows, she's almost like my in, like inadvertent accountant, really. She probably knows like how much I make and stuff and how much I'm spending or whatever. You know what mums are like? like yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's a Chinese family thing, but they're very up on their maths and they're very up on like oh, yeah, yeah. how much money you're spending and how much you're bringing in, et cetera, et cetera. Well, going back to your point earlier that like, um, you know, sometimes like you have to uh, work another job just to mm. kind of just balance things out a little bit more. I, I was doing that a lot as well. Um, and I found that's when I was at my most productive, when I had to share my time with a part-time job. Mm. And so when I used to get back from, I, I do you know what, when I first started, I had nearly at one point three part-time jobs going wow. at the same time. So I was wow. working at my parents' restaurant, I was working in a cafe in town, and then occasionally working in the pub in the village. And you kind of think, and I don't know how I managed to fit any time to sit and draw, but I've managed to do it. And it wasn't like I had to finish a piece or whatever, but I collected in that year or two, loads of drawings in the sketchbook that I started to kind of, because they were there and I kept flicking through the sketchbook. I was formulating these ideas. I wasn't saying, right, I've got two hours spare now. I need to come up with something and this yeah. is going to be great. And I could post it online. It's like, no, you, I, I gave myself the time to let these things brew properly. And sometimes like, you know, it's like, it's like good wine or good whiskey. You got, it, it takes time, you know, and you've got a hundred, hundred million billion ideas in you. It's getting the ideas on paper and getting them out there. That gives it more value, but you can let these ideas brew. And the longer you let them brew, the better it is really. And, and again, environmental stability is all about having, uh, an environment around you where you're not stressing out about, you know, oh crap, I need to make this much rent. Oh crap, there's this happening. Oh, I've got to design this, but I've got to do this first and that kind of stuff. It's just like living at home was like good environmental stability for me because my parents would like, they, you know, they helped me out. They fed me. I started to pay board, but, you know, washing up, all that kind of stuff was sorted out for me. I did yearn for that independence though. Um, yeah, but, yeah. You know, it's an important part. Of when you started out as a freelancer, you need to kind of it's like sorting it. It's like getting your house in order, really. No, I, I find that the independence thing. You, I, I 
last night I was thinking just right I set him off <laughs> but you can't, you, can't, you can't do it because you need the money to you need the 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 place you need to be at home to save up money and, and build this thing before you can actually jump ship yeah that's it mm, that's it I think the best thing to do which is what I wish I did when I was younger was actually keep money aside <laughs> which is hard isn't it like the idea of save putting money aside it's really really hard but um Especially yeah, I found that, like, I, I, yeah, that's yeah, that's the hard, <laughs> that's the really really hard thing. Um, but when I needed some liquid, actually, like even just getting, you know, setting up, like just getting some nice prints made, you know, making merch, that, that does really really help. I don't do enough of it um, because half the time I can't be, half the time I can't be bothered because it takes up time in the studio and I've got all these other things going on. Um, yeah. And then you know you know what it's like. You, know, you get like five orders. That's great, sweet. Roll them up, package you know package them that kind of thing. Write the addresses down. Go to the post office. Go create. Gotta wait like thirty minutes in the queue because like just a load of like assholes in front of you, just like taking ages. For their thing. Oh, granny. That's half an hour. Exactly. Yeah. So that's forty minutes out of your studio day. You're like, oh, okay, great. Gotta get back to these emails. Check your emails. Oh, great, another two orders. Gotta go to the post office <laughs> tomorrow. You know, it's just like, yeah. oh damn! And then the occasional, oh my, my order didn't arrive. It's just like, oh my, oh my word, why am I doing this? And there's like five people emailing you, like, yeah, can I need those sketches today? And you're like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you find ways. You find ways. Yeah, you find yeah. many ways. Was there any particular point where you knew you, you were going to be to do this for a, a living and and make it a career? Yeah, I think it was my second year at uni. Um, I knew I was going to be an illustrator, but I just, I really didn't have, um, it wasn't like a lack of confidence. It was still, it was a lack of understanding, really. Because I think back then, all my heroes, all my kind of like, all the illustrators I used to follow were comic book artists and street artists and such. And, and you know, it's not, it's no fault of anyone or even the tutors. They just didn't really recognize the value in, in having those references. They're like, oh, what is it you want to do? And I was kind of like, I, really, I don't actually know. Um, and then I didn't even look up, like, what do illustrators kind of work in? What kind of, you know, I just saw that they can do advertising campaigns and they can do, like, special limited edition designs of T-shirts for big brands and book covers for Penguin, all that kind of thing. And I just didn't really see how my work would fit into that because I didn't have work that was at a milestone, you know, where I'm like, I'm happy with this. I just kind of, I carried... I wanted to carry on growing and carry on playing and doing all that, mm. doing all that kind of process stuff. And in the second year, when I was at my lowest, I nearly left that course. I don't know why. I just felt like, oh, maybe I should do something else. Because my friends back at home were, they were setting up like a t-shirt printing um, show where they used to go into schools and youth centers to teach kids how to design a t-shirt and print it. And I was mm. going to help them out with that you know just be like uh, not a teacher but just help design the t-shirts with the kids uh pulled myself out of bed one wednesday morning knew that we had a guest lecture from a guy called john bergerman i don't know if you've ever heard of him he's um john bergerman is is like a he's a nottingham born illustrator but he's kind of like a street not a street artist but he's an illustrator he's like doodles a lot and a lot yeah. of this stuff kind of reminds me of like like keith herring and and it's really fun it's a really fun style mm. and Drag myself out of bed to go to this lecture and that's when it all changed because you know he was like showing us what he did he was like sticking stickers up in the street not allowed to do that doodling <laughs> on skateboards that's cool and then like one picture was like oh yeah i got flown over to berlin to just draw this on a office wall 
and that's when it clicked. I was like, I want to do that. I, I want to draw on walls. And 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 I told my housemates about it, and they're like, How are you gonna How are you gonna get around doing that then? Like drawing walls for who? I'm like, I don't know, but I've seen someone who can do it, so I kind of think I can do it. Yeah. And and I let that. I just kind of let that brew for a while. And in the meantime, third year, I'm just trying to be like this kind of illustrator that's going down this road to kind of do editorial and all this kind of all that kind of work but i think with john bergerman that's when it really that's when it really stuck because once i call them the wilderness years when i came back from from uni i started doing a lot of things like like live art nights like some friends well, I thought you were some of that. our friends oh no no well, <laughs> It's not hard drugs. There was a lot of like partying, drinking. Yeah, you know, yeah. There was a lot of partying and drinking, and I had a great time when I came back from uni. Like I, I just had these part-time jobs, but then I had these projects with my friends, and with the with the equipment that they had, we had like a vinyl cutter and a, and a heat press. You could make like vinyl. You could you could program like designs in, in Illustrator, and the vinyl cutter yeah. would print around the vinyl, and you peel off the. X this and then you put it you put the sheet onto the t-shirt you heat press it on and you got a design there mm. and so we did a couple of these youth uh these like youth courses and uh class visits and stuff and we decided why don't we just make our own little label so we just did that uh so we managed to like make t-shirts sell t-shirts made enough money we kept all that money as we put it behind us it's kind of uh, something else. We didn't even know what that was. That was a period of just not planning for anything. Yeah. We just kind of thought, well, let's just give it a go. Why not? And uh, and eventually, with people in Sheffield knew us for that. Like we were, we were we were just a bunch of kids like creating t-shirts and selling like these one-off t-shirts more or less. That's cool. And uh, yeah, so we so we had a so we managed to get like a shop space in town, which is wow. like a, it was like a pretty vibrant part of town. But where like you know like it's all, all the independent bars are and independent shops and with that you start to meet people that work on that street and people mm. that kind of promote and promote nights and then people kind of asking me to design posters and flyers to <laughs> charge like such menial fees back then I, I didn't know but i think i understood that you have to start from somewhere you can't just kind of go get caught 200 pounds for a flyer it's like you know i'm not even like ralph stedman or anything like that it's like it's it's not you know you have to kind of be respectful of where you are um, yeah. but you do come across like some like i did come across some really bad clients in my early days like gate crasher was one of them i don't even care if i'm gonna name drop them they were the worst <laughs> they were just awful they were horrible they were horrible to deal with well, what happened? they just basically the classic case of no replies no replies when you you know you loads of loads of amendments and then mm. you invoice them don't hear a thing kind of strange isn't it it's like amendments like amendments up the bomb really just like loads of them <laughs> and then cool that's the last amendment yeah that's great just send the final file over yeah cool great and then send them an invoice no reply at all <laughs> but you know you have to learn those lessons you have to learn you have to learn those lessons but um so then what we did was with with the t-shirts and stuff we used to kind of like have fashion shows and things and one element that we added to our shows or one element that we added to certain nights that we were involved in was live art and with live art you just bring in wooden boards and you're just drawing whilst the bands are playing or drawing whilst the night is going on so it's kind of like making them not making a mural but you're making a piece of art in front of people and 
and with that, that was like my training. That's that's what trained me to draw, to scale up my drawings and scale up the characters and add mm. characters and add all these different elements. And then eventually, you know, uh, I used to get asked by design agents, certain design agencies in Sheffield to visit and draw murals on their walls. And that was it. I was doing the John Bergman thing then. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I can develop this. The most embarrassing thing was, though, my first mural that I ever did was done with Sharpie. <laughs> Sharpie markers, which you can imagine, like, uh, doesn't get much wall coverage. So the lines were very thin. Yeah. It's, very, it's a very embarrassing thing when I think about it now. It's like, oh, God. And now you like, are you like markers because it's like a nice thick line. But, God, like, you just have to make those mistakes and learn. So, um, Do you think they still got it up in their office? I don't know. I hope they don't. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know if they see any value in it or whatever. But yeah, it's just it's just funny and very embarrassing. That's probably my one my one little kind of like um, commercial work faux pas, really mm. picking the wrong tools for the job. <laughs> but that's what it was back then. And like you say, you got to make the mistakes, and then you get there. Yeah, definitely. I think I found your work around sort of the Childish Gambino uh, project you did. The um, oh, yeah, yeah. I think I found it around that sort of time when they when well, I can't remember what the song's called now. I mean, this is America. Yeah, yeah, this is America. <laughs> that's that's pretty funny that because um, right now I'm not really in my studio space. I share a studio space with all these other people, so we're in the breakout space here. So all this stuff behind me, I just like stuck it up behind me, just then it wasn't just like kind of playing, but I. Forgot to stick this one up, which was the Charlie Gambino one. So good. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so the Kendrick but one. That, that, yeah, the Kendrick one as well. You see, that was a response to like how I, I felt about the video. I thought the video was really was quite powerful. That's and good. you know, people started to take the piss and meme it and stuff. But I think when something becomes memed, it, it, it's more it's more of a statement on it's now in the consciousness of, of many people. So I kind of see the positives in that, but but yeah, like hip hop is kind of like something that I always respond to, especially with artists. They are like artists, and poets, as well as yeah. as well as musicians. Like the good ones are anyway. And um, <laughs> and yeah, I'm planning on doing another piece that's kind of inspired by the "This Is America" piece with uh, Marvin Gaye. And nice. one of my favorite albums is "What's Going On," which, if you listen to all the way through, is like a really great protest album with relevant issues that are still going on today and I, and I listened to it like a lot recently and I was kind of thinking I wouldn't even mind trying to make a graphic novel out of it but that's a bit too long so I was thinking of doing like a print series of, of juxtaposing um, the the album cover with uh, the news stories of the past two years maybe because you know there's a lot there's a lot to cover <laughs> so yeah. what do you think of the media and, and like how they've uh, how they got the that this is America stuff out there. How do you think they portrayed it? And that's not illustration I at think, all. <laughs> yeah, well, well, it's, but it's interesting though because it's storytelling, and and yeah. I kind of think like my my version of my visual version of trying to encapsulate that video is me trying to tell a story in a snapshot in a way, and mm. I kind of felt like the media's agenda was to kind of belittle it, mm. uh, but there were but it was it's mostly it's it was the public it was the public that kind of empowered the video more more so than the media the media just kind of reported on the reactions to the video and then certain blogs were kind of like breaking down the messages within the video and over the course of like two weeks people were coming up with new theories and new interpretations of the video which i thought was quite interesting and 
the video is a bit of a it's a bit of a you know a pop shot at the media as well yeah uh, which, which i felt like you know was was good enough like i think the best of us will kind of understand like the beauty of what he tried to do with that music video and i kind of felt that there was like a really interesting artist response to that amongst loads of illustrators loads of illustrators were drawing mm. Donald Glover, they were drawing Charles Gambino, they were drawing bit like frames from the video itself, which, you know, with not many captions other than people felt like it, it had like an impact on them, which I kind of think is interesting. Yeah. Because I think I think in popular culture we are we are we're kind of lacking certain uh, leaders. Like you think like someone with someone like Drake who has like so many millions of fans could you know come out and say a few more things about uh you know about Donald Trump or whatever. But who do we get? We get Kanye West talking about Donald Trump instead and it's just like what the hell, you know. Everyone knows he's a bit crazy at the moment. <laughs> yeah, he's a bit nuts at the moment. But I do but I also I'm also a bit weird with Kanye West. I actually do kind of I'm still a fan of the music. It's oh, kind I like of a horrible it. thing. It's that weird thing of separating the man from the artist in yeah. a way, but then but then that's not really a good argument because people could say like that about any other artist. Like, like I don't know, some people can say, oh, but I still love Kevin Spacey, but it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's really, really difficult, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, really difficult. Well, see, Louis C.K., I guess, is one of those, one of the pe- those sort of people. Is, um, yeah, <laughs> it's weird stuff going on in the world. But... That's true, yeah. <laughs> that's true. And then, yeah, and then you think about like every Miramax movie that you've watched, like Kill Bill and Pulp Fiction. Is the Pulp Fiction is one of my favorite films. Yeah, you know, and it's like you know, primarily financed by like Weinstein, like Harvey Weinstein. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of one of those things. It's it does make you feel very icky about liking something like that. But then it's like, well, could be a crisis. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's something that's come to light, and then. And then you feel guilty for liking something that's attributed towards a person that you know committed really horrible things. But I think I think that kind of happens in everyday life in general, anyway. And and we do live in like little bubbles from from now from now and then. And you know, like here's me talking about this kind of stuff. All I do is draw pictures for a living. <laughs> that of the characters. Yeah. Things. So it's like. Yeah, you know but bubbles. I always find it strange when people just say, "Yeah, but I just draw pictures." That's not. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> Essentially, is though. Essentially, it is. is. But it's, it's so much more than that as well. Like like the um, like the Charlie Gambino one. Yeah, you know, you've got meaning behind it. You got you got thoughts and expression in there. It's like it's not just a picture. It's not just a pretty picture. Like four year olds just draw pretty pictures, but and you got you got yourself drawing stuff that's got power in it. I think anyway. I don't know. Maybe I'm bullshitting, but. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Actually, I was about to make I was about to make the rebuke that four-year-olds though, when they create pictures, they're the most purest pictures. Whereas, like our pictures aren't pure. There's too much thought in them. Oh, fair play. Calculation. Yeah, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of calculation in what we do, especially like um, uh, there's something that I, I tend to do on Instagram a lot is respond to things that are around me. I used to kind of like really be quick at responding to certain things in the news and, mm. and whatever, and I do like a quick drawing colour it up, square format it, and put it in for, uh, put it in Illustrator, Illustrator in, in, on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. To kind of see 
well, in a, in a, to be really candid, to kind of see like how people would react to it. But then what I started to realize was that I was chasing after likes. I was yeah. jumping on something. It wasn't as pure. It was just, it was a very calculated thing, which I try not to do anymore unless it's, it's about someone I really admire and I feel really sad that they've gone, whatever. But half the time, I don't really, I don't really share uh, too much of that anymore. So, uh, you know, like mm. when Stan Lee passed away, uh, like, couple of weeks ago or like last month and it was just one of those things where oh, i really want to do it drawing with stanley but then i was kind of like no you know what i'm just gonna pick out like a really good photograph and just kind of like share it on my thing but yeah stanley but then isn't that such a weird thing though like it's just there's so much thought process behind that like it's kind of like oh how will i be perceived if i post this a lot of illustrators i talk to a lot of people i talk to that that's the same thing for them and they're always they, they, I've done uh, people on design in the creative world create stuff just to impress their peers and just create stuff just for likes. I, I find it so strange. Everyone's got this number now. And it's, it's, to be fair, it's the only thing I've ever known, really. Everyone, it's like Black Mirror. Black Mirror had an episode about this where everyone has a number. And, and it's so true. Like, everyone has this following that they have. And, and everyone's pandering to get this number that they've got up. And I, I think it's just fucked. I, I, uh, I don't know. I wish I hope they just get rid of it. But. The weird thing about social media, like um, followers and stuff, is that it's it's the possibility if, of having, if you have so many followers out of those those thousands, there's got to be there's got to be at least one or two that are like important art directors or people of 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 industry influence and stuff so you kind of are tempted to kind of garner as many followers as possible in case mm-hmm. uh but it's not but then a lot of the time though i kind of think like people that chase after the number like the big like thousands of followers numbers it's an egotistical thing it's a validation of like well i'm doing quite good as an illustrator but it's like like not to be horrible about like certain people's work i'm not I'm, i don't go out of my way to be horrible about people's work but there are certain illustrators out there that you see that you kind of think like you do really well on Instagram. I don't see any of your stuff out there, like on, on anything. Like you don't like, you don't see it on anything. They never get big mm-hmm. projects, but they're really good at just posting stuff online, Yeah, yeah. you know, which is kind of strange. Like is, essentially Instagram is a tool to Instagram is like my shop window. If I was a product, if I was selling a product, my drawings, my, my practice i need a shop window to kind of show people this is what i do and that's kind of how i use things like instagram an organic portfolio that can't, that constantly changes that has active followers mm. um, whereas like a website is something that's just there and you can view it on your mobile on your mobile phone or whatever but it's it's not as um what's the word it's not as instantaneous as like instagram yeah Instant, but it's a straight. It is, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all in the name, but it is a straight. It is a strange thing. You do see, like, you'll see, like, illustrators that kind of, they're not chasing after, uh, they're not probably chasing after the work that me and a lot of my peers are chasing after. They're just kind of chasing after a validation of what they're do, doing, mm. which I kind of think is something you grow out of once you kind of like. I'm 34 years old now, so you definitely grow out of that. Um, you know, it's 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 trying to. It's, for me, it's about making as big of a, of an impact uh, in my field as I can. Uh, whether it's like actually making interesting work or reaching out to more people, 
which is why I kind of set up Doodle Club, and which is why I got into teaching and all that kind of thing. So yeah. yeah, when I get good projects in and good work, it's a bonus for me. I get to you know play play around a bit and try new things, and it's nice. Yeah, it's a nice feeling. One thing I always find people on Instagram as well that how much of themselves is actually in their work, like how much of yourself is in your work, and how much have you tried to put yourself in your work, like your your energy, and you know, obviously you're obviously quite an energetic guy and quite a bright thinker, like not not so pessimistic. Your work portrays that, like that's how I see it anyway. Like we're looking at work, you would think that are you, is that true? Is that are you quite a? Yeah, it's kind of true. It's 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 kind of true. I do joke about sometimes about that kind of stuff but I don't I don't really dress like my work like I don't really kind of you know what I mean like some people would expect that I'd wear like like t-shirts with like these like character designs oh, shirts like, and stuff and, yeah. Or, like yeah 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 or I'd collect like um, or I'd collect loads of like toys and, and stuff and I don't but I think a lot of my work does reflect me because it's it's always experiment experimental to me like there's there's a lot of there's a wide range of work and of styles of work that I kind of try out all the time. And I think that's very, uh, that represents me to a T. Like I, I try many different things anyway. I love variety. My, my life is all about variety. So I'll try all sorts of things for lunch and I, 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 dress, up in, I dress up in all sorts of outfits <laughs> for like for specific times of the day and whatever. And I watch all sorts of shows. I read all kinds of books like some of my most favorite films are quite like very strange movies really uh um you know like i've been talking about my my favorite movies of this year that i enjoyed were like Suspiria and and you were never really here but i loved civil war and i loved spider-man homecoming in fact no no, you know what my most favorite recent film actually was spider-man uh spider-man enter the multiverse that was brilliant (laughs) that that just that blew me away so that's it, and that film is perfect. Have you watched it yet? No, no, I haven't seen it. <laughs> if you if you if you watch it, watch the trailers and watch look at some screenshots of it. You'll see there's so many visual styles going off in that film. I mean, the, there's a lot of kind of like textural stuff, and there's loads of kind of like glitchy looking, um, right. like effects that they put in it. But it's just so good, and that film speaks to me because it's it's kind of like it, it represents the same energy I try and put into my work, mm. but Oh, I kind of think like a lot of the work more recently started to reflect more of my observations on things. Um, especially like I've been doing like more like slogan style stuff and gifs, like gif animations that reflect like the banality of like scrolling infinitely on a feed or yeah. checking your emails or swiping on an app to work out like what kind of food you want for lunch, you know, swiping forever, that kind of thing. I like I like that kind of uh, like observational reflective like storytelling yeah. almost that's so, awesome yeah what's something that you wished you'd known at the start of your career and you should tell other people about oh that's a very good question i'd say i wish i knew that i wish i knew that this was a long game yeah because <laughs> it it really is it's a long game it's yeah. um it being a long game you need to you need to have like milestones in place. But I, I just wish that like, it wasn't about like rushing to the finish line. I put a lot of pressure on myself like after things started to get really productive for me. Like when I, when I started getting work and things, 
such. Hmm. There's like a weird anxiety that builds up when the momentum starts to like lose its speed, and you're like, okay, and, it, it, and you're having to learn on the job. And so, if I had like a, if I could go back in time, and just tell my younger self <laughs> at 20 odd years old, like, this is a long game, it's fine, just keep enjoying it. I wish I knew that. But I think um, another thing I wish I knew was. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Milestones before, like, before we jump on. What about the milestones? How are you putting milestones in place? What sort of stuff are you are you saying to yourself? What goals are you checking? Okay. Milestones were mm. simple things like, oh, I'd like to design something for uh, Google, or I'd like to design something for, you know what I mean? Like that's just yeah. all that. Things like that. Or I had milestones of I'd like to learn how to animate, you know, and I taught myself how to make gifts, just animate things. Cool. Setting those kinds of things up. And what sort of they yearly or daily? They're yearly. In fact, yeah. the one the one I'm failing on yearly for the past three years is teaching myself how to use After Effects, which all I have to do is just spend a weekend doing it. But then yeah. half the time, it's just I'm not in the mindset to do it. I'd rather play like Red Dead Redemption or <laughs> go. You know what I mean? I'll like go yeah. for coffee with a friend or something. Um, but how good is that game, by the way? That's an amazing game. It's amazing. It's like living a second life. And I'm a big fan of West uh, Westworld. Mm. And um, yeah, so like, that's like the most adult way of kind of venturing into a world and being part of the world. Whereas like before when you were a kid and you're playing like, you know, 8-bit consoles and 16-bit consoles, you're having to kind of fill in a lot of the blanks, which makes it, which you embellish more, which makes it a lot more fun. But mm. in, in West, in, in, in Red Dead, sorry, it's like, it is all kind of dictated at you, but it's a, your own choice. So you can yeah, kind yeah. of go down any direction you like. So I quite like that. But then, you know, teaching myself how to use After Effects is just something that's kind of like, oh, I'll just teach myself later. But I think, like, if I knew at the start, like, how, uh, you know, this, this this is a process that takes a while and don't try and be the, the final thing before you hit 30. It's just, it doesn't work that way. Some of the best illustrators I know hit their stride in their mid 30s even like 40s they just, they, and there was an interesting thing actually that i went to last month uh it was a talk by paula share head of pentagram in new york and she'd flown over to sheffield well she flown over to the uk to do a talk in sheffield at sheffield Hallam, and i went to it got to talk to her at the traffic lights actually before we got to That's the university crazy. so that was pretty cool yeah and i just flown back from new york like the day before <laughs> and uh and i was like oh Hi, Paula. And she's like, oh, hi, how you doing? And I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm, gonna talk. I'm coming to your talk. She's like, oh, that's fantastic. What do you do? And I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm an illustrator. I just flew back from New York on Monday. And when did you fly? I flew in yesterday. How did you like the weather? And I was like, yeah, it's really cool. And she was like, you know, she was like asking, like, oh, what do you, oh, what do you do? So I'm an illustrator. It's like, oh, that's, that's great. You know, there's so much work over in New York. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. It's great. Um, <laughs> But that talk, though, sorry, I digress there. That accent talk, is amazing. She talks about, <laughs> yeah, thanks for doing a lot of, like, crazy accents. She talks about the career staircase. And on the bottom yeah. rung, not the bottom rung, but the bottom step, you have your 20s. And at your 20s, you're kind of like, you're, you're starting. You know, you may have gone to, like, art school, college, university, whatever. But you're, as soon as you finish, you're starting. Mm. And those years are your kind of, you're still learning. Those years you're, you spend teaching yourself, making mistakes, working with clients, and you're formulating a methodology to how you approach these things creatively. And you're also 
you probably start to like read different books and watch different films and you break your habits from being a kid to being like this young adult and you hit your 30s and you're really hitting your stride then in your 30s and I did start to feel that in my 30s you just kind of you understand more about who you are what you're doing and what is it that you want to do and so all the projects after that they start to become more kind of purposeful and people start to look at you as well and start to gravitate towards you because of your output, because of the things that you're interested in and the things that you want to make. And then you hit your 40s, and then your 40s, you know, you have 10 years more experience than you did when you were, when you were 30. So now you're in your 40s, but now you're looking behind you and you're looking at the 30-year-olds that are coming through and you're thinking, oh, okay, so I need to stay ahead of them. But you don't know what you're going to be doing when you're 40. You might have kids, you might have a car, have a wife, mortgage to pay, all that. So those things factor in how you are in your 40s, maybe even your 30s as well. But then by the time you hit your 50s, so you keep doing that stuff, by the time you hit your 50s, you're either going to be in a position of authority where you maybe run your own company or you know people that, that were doing the same thing as you and they set up their own companies and they're art directors now. So you know all these people. So you're in a very unique position. And then you're looking at the 40-year-olds and looking at the 30-year-olds. And now you look at the 30-year-olds as like the youngsters so you see how like, you know, so you see how like if you're 23, 24, whatever, and every year you're kind of wondering, oh, can I do this? Can I do this? How am I going to get, you have to kind of think, am I going to be thinking like this every year until I hit 70? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You have to start to question yourself. You know what? Maybe if I just put more faith in this, put more faith in myself and just get on with it. Like it's fine to be slightly anxious about these things. It's a, it's a it's a reflex, you know. It's a cautious reflex that we have that we don't want to put ourselves in imminent danger. But the imminent danger is a perceived thing. It's not like you're going to starve to death, you know. It's 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 a very very different thing. It's, it's like um, the the dangers of failure in this industry is not like say getting stuck on a mountain with no food. And things like that you can always pick yourself back up and start again or do something or do it differently so that's kind of what i got from that polish share talk and she's in her 70s and yeah. she still runs pentagram and mm. that's another thing that i always joke with my mom i always say like i'm not ever going to retire and she's like well why wouldn't you it's like because i don't see what i do as work it's only work when the client makes it like work when the client is like i'm going to sit behind you and do this i'll i'll come to sheffield to your studio and sit behind you which has happened once <laughs> never again <laughs> you know that's when it's work but if it's something that you enjoy doing it never really is and that's a very cliche thing but it's uh, it's true so i'd like to i'd like to imagine i'd be spending my my like later years painting or drawing characters and stuff and you know what i actually i actually didn't get to meet this guy but I, w- I did some work at the uh, Walt Disney Animation Studio in Burbank this year, mm. and it's basically the place where they make they made Bambi, they made <laughs> they made all that stuff. And but but more more recently, I was I was doing the work for the department, the the, the more digital tech department that have worked on products and software for films like Frozen, Moana, mm. all, all those kind of films. Thirty six meter mural along the bottom of the building, along their, their basement which is a really good far away now. And I got an email saying that when they do the tours, they always take them past the, uh, they always oh, take them past cool. there. So it's really, really good. But one of the artists there on the third floor, which you're not allowed to go up unless you get invited up there. It's basically the biz dev 
section where they're working on new films and stuff. I got to see some crazy gnarly things that I'm not really allowed to talk about, so I can't because I'm on a podcast. But I walked past certain like cubicles and certain offices, and one of the um, one of the artists is like. He, he was just he, i think he'd celebrated his 65th year working at disney wow. so i think yeah and i think he was like i don't know how, i don't remember how old he was i think he was like 80 something Jeez. and he was you know he was hired by like walt disney no doubt so it's like one of those crazy things where wow this guy doesn't even want to like retire yet and i looked i looked at his office and he had like a, a massive imac a really big cintiq like a wacom cintiq so he was drawing digitally mm. so so he had these beautiful pen drawings of like Mickey Mouse and all these other characters that he helped develop stuck on his wall. But you know, at, at that at ripe old age, he was still using he was using digital technology, uh, probably painting and drawing and things. And you know, that to me just, just spoke volumes about how, uh, as a creative person, you you strive out of curiosity, and curiosity is is the thing that drives you forward. It's not it's definitely not money. But once you start to stabilize and earn money the money side is like it's a it's a bit of a bonus i guess it's just something that's kind of like you know that's the necessary part of of what you do because you need you know you need the money but uh, the jobs that kind of make it really worthwhile are the ones that help you push uh, your practice a bit just that little bit further mm. i think and i can say that now because i've had like a very good couple of years where it's just the momentum has allowed me to grow and and the, the work does come and there are quiet months and such, but you get to a point where you want those jobs, uh, certain jobs to pay, pay like three months worth of you know support. And then in those three months, what are you going to do? You can you can spend a lot of time looking for new work or work on something new, which you share online, and you have followers that keep track of what it is that you do. They help keep your work relevant. And you keep your work relevant by by posting new things all the time. That's uh, Matt does the same thing. Like Matt Roth, he, he's always posting like stuff that he's working on, even personal stuff. And I'd always say that the personal stuff is always my favorite because he's taken time out of his day to do that. Like you know, because he enjoys doing it. Absolutely, and that, yeah, that tends yeah. to be the really creative stuff when it's not guidelined by uh, rules and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I always. I always find it funny when uh, I talked about not retiring as well to my grandparents, my parents, and um, they just can't understand it. I'm like, I'm, in my head, in my head, I'm like, well, that's just when you're retired, it's like, okay, I'm spending some money just waiting to die now. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, yeah. Like, I'd like to spend days like catching up on TV shows I missed in my 30s or something. Yeah, yeah. Or like, even reading the books that, you know, like, there's, there's got to be like a hundred books you must read before you die. So, you know, you'll do that. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, that's the thing. Like, curiosity doesn't really like like stop a studio desk. It's it's about watching crazy ass films that you know, like that really challenge you, and then thinking about it afterwards, going, "Yeah, I really enjoyed that because it was a challenge." Yeah, absolutely. You know? Or like reading a book that's quite challenging, or 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 looking at artwork that's really challenging. I think it's it's a really really important thing because otherwise. If you're yeah, making stuff that everyone else is doing and what reacting to the same films that everyone else is reacting, which is fine, you know, I'm a big Marvel fan anyway. But you are just kind of you're just kind of adding to the echo chamber a little bit. But you can take I take a lot of ideas from from fine art and and try and apply them to my work. Or I try and I always feel quite refreshed when I go to museums and look at 
crazy sculptures. Some sculptures, like in contemporary fine art, are like you know, like a cloth on a chair or some <laughs> crap like that. You think, oh, what the hell is that about? But it's but then the fact that I can bring that up as a point of reference is quite an important thing as well because it's it's it 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 grounds you in a way, it puts you where you are, right. and and you know, I don't want to make artwork like that, but that obviously is very popular artwork because it's in a museum and someone's most definitely bought it and it's in a private collection or something like that but that's that's a different world to traverse altogether ours is more it straddles a more commercial aspect you know because essentially the best paid jobs are the ones who have the money the ones who have the money they're constantly they constantly need new artwork to yeah. help sell their products to stay on top and i think now i'm starting to see that like that kind of um that kind of not pattern but i think about like what how do i want to remember my how do i want to kind of be remembered for and you know like later on and hopefully it'd be because oh he's the guy who did this graphic novel or he's the guy that, that created these characters that became like a a popular franchise or whatever they're never going to be like oh yeah he did that stuff in the New York Times all those years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The people aren't going to remember me for that unless it's like a very ballsy, crazy campaign or like a very challenging illustration. But, you know, like, or like if I did like a, a label for a beer or something or a whiskey or whatever, you know, I just, all I've done is kind of like made some cool artwork that's helped them sell millions of pounds of whiskey. And I only got paid like, I don't know, like seven grand, 10 grand, whatever. 20 grand whatever even if i got paid 30 grand for it that's still not a million is it i still not you know what i mean it's 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 you only get a portion of that back and then it's just like a bragging thing that oh yeah i did this that's great i did that but then it, it, it's something that could be forgotten and i kind of feel like i think if you're going to play this long game you want to make work that really represents you over the course of time that you know you had something to say and you had the chance to kind of make artwork that says something that another kid can look at and kind of go, I want to do the stuff he's doing. Kind of like my reaction to John Bergman, kind of like my reaction to like Mike Mignola, you know, David Mack, all these like comic book artists, even like Keith Haring, uh, I always reference now. Yeah. yeah. That's funny because I was going to ask you at the end of the podcast how John's remembered. I don't want to be remembered. (laughs) But he sort of answered it. Um, Well, there you go. how, How much time have you got, by the way? Uh, a bit of time, yeah, it's fine. It's only a last three, it's fine. How long are the episodes? Do you, do you like to keep the episodes down to? I, d- I don't, I just want to keep it the conversation going as long as I can. It's like, I'd do a whole day one if I could. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. 24 hour marathon. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Maybe we should do that one day. <laughs> Maybe you just, could do, yeah, yeah, you could do. You can get like multiple, room. you can get multiple screens up, right, on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, like real conference calling. That'd be amazing. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna work that one out too. because um I'm doing I'm doing my first live event in July, uh oh. in London. Which Wow. Yeah. Well, I haven't set it up yet. It's gonna be happening somewhere, somehow. Cool. But, um but where, yeah. Where and where and when? You'll have to let me know. I could come, come down to that. Yeah. You could be on the panel if you want to. Be on the panel. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so it's good. Give, <laughs> give a talk or whatever, wherever you want. Um, Brilliant. Yeah. Basically, yeah. It's gonna be a panel. Beginning of July, it's going to be a panel um, where it's hopefully it's aimed at students. So students come along and ask business and design questions. Because I, personally, I think that the business side of it all doesn't really get answered much 
in the uh, oh, okay. in universities and that like like the stuff about working with agencies and and mm. get it, how to get an agent and how to do your invoices and just rubbish stuff cool. like that <laughs> stuff that no one enjoys but I, I these are things that need to be answered in the in the creative world Definitely. so i really want to really want to get um, really want to get students in like knowledgeable yeah. about that um yeah. you know what's really funny actually when i when i graduated the first book i bought was uh, how to be an illustrator by daniel reese yeah and that more or less kind of told me everything i needed to know it, it gives you like a, a very clear like this is how you invoice and this is what you should ask for but there are certain nuances to how you negotiate with certain clients and maybe the value of what is it that you want in return is quite an important thing for students to work out because it's not always about money mm. and i think when you kind of start off it's like there's, there's like an eternal argument is pro bono good is pro bono bad should you do stuff for free and whatever but like it's when people kind of say, yeah, but you did that for free. And it's like, no, I didn't get money in return, but I got something in return. And it's being able to identify what was the thing that you got in return. Was it like, was it an investment of time? Was it an investment that, was it an investment of, well, they see my work, they know I can do it. They like me. I like them. So I hope we'll work in the future. I know my parents would have been like, well, that's just stupid. You, you've given them something for free. Mm. And I'm like, no, because somewhere down the line, it's going to come back and more often than not it does in fact a lot a lot of the jobs i've had recently um i always i always email back and ask like oh thank you thanks for your interest it's great uh how did you find my work by uh out of curiosity and it's like oh you sent us some stickers like three years ago and <laughs> you know we've had them on i've had them on my desk i'm just waiting for, i've been waiting for the right project to use you for so it's it's that you know it's sending out freebies to people it doesn't mean that like you might be cold calling and sending a, a postcard out to someone but if that postcard or that sticker that you sent out is really good it mm -hmm. stays on the wall or it stays on their laptop you know it, it stays in their mind better than an email that's like oh here's my website it's wondering if you're looking for any illustrators you know it's like yeah people got time to click but they've also got enough time to forget that they even clicked on that website an hour later but if they if they give them a nice envelope with something inside it. You're like, all oh, right, that's kind of cool. It's, it's the kind of, it's the effort, you know. Sometimes that stuff requires money though, because you have to pay for printing, you have to pay for postage, whatever. But when you start to kind of garner uh, funds that help, that you use your business to pay for, like outreach, promotion, advertising, whatever, it's important, you know, it's really important. Because I mean, it's great to have things like Instagram and stuff like that, but like tactile, things mm. that people can look at and see in the light <laughs> you know it's it also has an effect of its own as well absolutely yeah, yeah. Uh, are they, yeah. Uh, panels and stuff yeah i'd be happy to talk on one nice one <laughs> you're in uh but yeah i'll, I'll talk to you about that after after this but um Great. have you found you, you've got an agent haven't you mm. got, yeah yeah cool so how, have you found how did you get one first of all and, and do you do you recommend it and and how are you finding it I would recommend getting an agent once you've spent a couple of years working freelance right. uh, off your own back. I think like if you get an agent off the off the bat, off the bat, that tends to happen with like super uniquely talented new illustrators that you know get highlighted by like it's nice that and you know what I mean. Like those yeah. those ones like maybe maybe I don't know like maybe certain agencies clamor to kind of like represent them or whatever. But when you're kind of starting off getting an agent well it'll be hard to get an agent because unless you're super talented you need to kind of show that you can do the work really quickly that you're 
you also have like fresh ideas. You have a good way of handling clients over email. There's all sorts of things you should learn to do first, like like your finances, like invoicing, like protecting yourself in the early negotiations of the job. Like so when you email back and you say, Yes, I can do this, this, this and that. Uh, in return for a fee of this, 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 and that. It's not a formal contract, but as soon as they email and say, yes, I agree, it is kind of, you have a line of, of dialogue there, which kind of is a, it's a, it's a deal. It's an agreement, yeah. you know, it's just as good as signing a contract more or less. But some people I know have started off like using contracts in early negotiations with things. And that's kind of good because it shows that you are professional and it shows that you're not to be messed about. Uh, I don't do any of that kind of thing. I, I tend to kind of trust the client, maybe a bit too much, but a lot of the time, um, I make it be known that you know I'm not a pushover. You know, this is my best rodeo. But an important thing is, I kind of feel that like um, with what we do, especially when you're freelance, uh, it's like I kind of tell a lot of students like it's kind of like being a plumber or being a mechanic. You go into a house and someone's pipes are just you know. They're messed up. They can't do it themselves. They've got a deadline. It's got to be done by in three days' time. Yeah, yeah. And you say, yes, I can do it. But they say they can't pay you. Then it's like, well, would you ever tell a plumber that? I can't pay you, but I can tell the people about you. It can work and it doesn't work at the same time. So it's like, it's understand. It's, it's teaching students, teaching you illustrators, like this is your value to that person. They're asking you to do something because they can't do it themselves. So you need to get something in return mm, mm. from them all the time. It's it was probably like that from medieval times, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you always had to do something in return for something else. You did it out of the goodness of your heart. In fact, I like the idea of this. I kind of played around with an idea like that. It's like I spent a whole year, if I made like my first, if I made like a million pounds in a year or something, I kind of thought, all right, what if I experimented and documented this the following year, just did work for free for a whole year. So like, I yeah. can put it out there and I can pick and choose the things I want to do for free. That'd be cool. For a year. And because it's a limited time only, like it'd be interesting to see what type of people come out of the woodwork for like, you should do this. Cause there might be like some really cool, there could be like a really cool musician who's like, Oh, I'll do this for me for free. But I'm like, yeah, but you are really cool. But I quite like this old lady here. That's running like a cat shelter. And you know, I'd rather do something like that. That has more meaning for it. So, you know, it starts to put in your mor morality meeting, really. <laughs> Just like in Red Dead. <laughs> if you're, like, you're going to be, like, ruthless or honourable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That kind of thing. With an agency, with an agent, how does it, how's it oh, work? Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the question of the agency. Right, 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 right. So, basically, with an agent, I was approaching loads of agents in, in London, and I wasn't getting anything back, because sometimes it depends on the roster. The roster might be full. You don't want to have a roster of over like, I don't know, like 70, 80 people. It's like being a, it's like being part of a modeling agency, right? They're selling your face. They're selling your work. Mm. And sometimes there's always a danger that you'll get lost in amongst the roster, which is something you never really want to happen. And so I think that was what was happening. Even though I've had some great clients behind me, like I had Whole Foods, I had Dunkin' Donuts, I had like Facebook, Microsoft, uh, Converse. I had all these clients that I could say, yeah, that oh, well, you know, this is my work. I, and they just look at the work and kind of go, oh, he's guarded all this work off his own back. So no. maybe we would like a cut of that. But it's not that case at all. There's loads of different factors involved. Um, sometimes it's aesthetic. Like if your aesthetic suits the roster because that specific agency might have a specific pool of clients that, love this aesthetic and you know so you have to do a lot of research into that kind of thing 
by then I'd already like worked as a freelance illustrator for seven years. No, no, maybe like eight, uh, six years freelance. Right. And so, and I always thought, well, I should have had an agent by now, but it's fine. I was getting, still getting work off my own back. I could still negotiate my own fees. It's fine. But I just, I want the, I just wanted to have an agent that knew clients that were so far out of my reach that, you know, and thankfully, uh, one of my best friends, Johnny Wan, who's also a great illustrator. We used to be in sixth form together. We went to art college together and we still remain friends. In fact, he, he has a desk like opposite me in the studio now. He's a Sheffield lad, so that's great. He was represented by, he's represented by CIA in London. They're just they're like very, very, very big uh, agency owned by like Brian Greenwood. But he was also represented in the United States, which is not in New York. And he just kind of said, why don't you email a uh, cat? Uh, my agent just ask for feedback you know and that's probably the best thing like I didn't want to kind of go like hey I'm looking for agents I I tried a different tact because actually I was like you know what maybe I should just ask for feedback instead of instead of like hey I want to be signed yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I asked Kat for feedback and she gave me some great feedback and then she asked me would I like to be represented by them I, I was I looking for representation and I was like uh, yes I am uh, and she laid it to me straight but like the agent is there as the middle person they'll get me work but also you know they obviously take a cut and they sort out all the admin side of things now in the u.s that's fine because i don't have a u.s bank account so the money has to be paid into snyder and then they transfer me the difference uh you know what is owed to me after they take their commission mm. standard commission at the time was like 25 i think it was like 25 percent for editorial work and then 30% the commercial work which is fine since then like I've had some great clients like I said I worked for GameSpot I did like Disney I did some Tumblr I did the New York Times Washington Post Keels like loads of really really good work and so it has benefited me but also you can't rest on your laurels though either you can't just expect agents to get you work all the time they also have other clients that they look after other people on the roster but with Snyder it's, it's been a really really good it's been a beautiful experience because I got to meet loads of new friends. I've flown over a few times and met some of the artists over there. Some of the art, most of the artists are based in London anyway. So like we have like an annual meetup and like, you know, chat about the industry, bitch about clients, that kind of thing. And, and it's, it's good. And now they've opened up uh, an office. Uh, so we have representation in London. We have like one new agent who's working on clients in London for us. So if, if needs be, I can, ask the agent and kind of say like, oh, I've been approached by these people, but I'm not too sure about negotiating because it seems like it's quite a complicated job. Can you help me negotiate it? Because sometimes there's loads of things involved, like licensing issues, reusage issues, and you know, like that kind of stuff. All these add-ons um, that, that can be quite hard to get your head around, but with an experienced agent, you know, they know how these things work. But they'll also kind of know when if you keep them CC'd into the email thread, they know when certain things are going to flare up. Like a client has asked for more amends, even though we've got like four amends over the agreed amount, you know, there's all that kind of murky stuff that they can kind of help sort out. So, yeah. That's, that's handy. Yeah. So do they, because the one thing that I've heard from other people is that they take a cut. Some agents are naughty and take a cut of work that you've got in yourself as well. Well, you see, that's, that's something that you need to kind of clear up right at the start that if they represent you in the States, then it's kind of agreeable that all the work that comes to you, into your inbox from a US client might have attributed to the fact that you're on the website over there. Yeah. 
I think with certain agencies, you can kind of agree that you have your own, like, it's like I've worked, I've worked as a freelancer for six years, so I have these clients, they're my clients. As soon as you bring in the middle person, it ups, it ups the job slightly. And good agencies and good agents will kind of just say, no, it's fine, they're your clients. But there has to be a transparency between, if all of a sudden, like, Nike, in, Nike Town in London are getting in touch with you, a couple of weeks after you sign with the agency or a month after you sign with the agency, mm-hmm. and you know that Nike Town have worked with them, you have to kind of assume that, like, oh, they, they must have got the newsletter that I'm on, and so they've approached me to see if I want to do this work. But if it's clients that you already have or clients that are coming to you, you can negotiate with the agent and say, like, this, this is, you know, this is my client. But it can be a bit difficult if, say, if it's a new client that's local-based, you know, like a charity or something. They only have like £200 budget if you design something. And if the agent wants like 30% of that £200, it's kind of like, well, you know, it's, but that's not yet happened to me yet. I think like with Snyder, it's been quite good. Like every UK job I've had that's off my own back. That's cool. It is, you know, it's for me to handle. But I can bring them in if I think that the client's being a bit difficult you know to kind of like uh, help me negotiate with a job then yeah but there are also horror stories of certain agencies that charge you a, an annual fee to promote the work and print your stuff out in postcards and Jesus. you know i've heard some really horrible stories like three grand was a bill that i heard that like one illustrator got was like three grand he had to pay <laughs> and they asked why oh we're going to be in uh, these conferences and these fairs and stuff and it's like what the hell but then like if you're asking every person on the roster and there's like 40 people on the roster. How much money are you making off me? Crazy. For, for print and for, like, not, for fair fees. Yeah, so it was like really ridiculous. Um, luckily with Snyder, they just kind of said, you need to pay $200. To, you need to design and pay $200 to make your own portfolio book that we keep. And this book we take everywhere. So it's all about transparency and being transparent with the agency. That's right. And cool. just being very open and honest about what you want out of that agency. Right. They have to tell you what, you know, what the deal is with them. Like, what do they get out of you? I think if anyone's listening to this and is thinking about agencies and seeing what they need to do and if they want an agency, they should always maybe ask uh, another illustrator that's got an agent and maybe ask one illustrator that hasn't got an agent and see see sort of what the positives and negatives of it, of it is. Because obviously, well, from what I've heard now, that you can get an agent and they can be really good and they can also be really bad and you also don't need one. So it's, it's, it's very sort of half and half. It depends on who you go with. So it sounds... Um, Sounds like something you have to weigh up. Start to run out of battery. <laughs> so right at the end, start to sound like a robot. Yeah, so agencies are kind of agencies are useful, but you know, don't rush to kind of sign up with an agency. It's good to kind of develop your own practice, and then an agency is basically when when you have other jobs on, like you might go into teaching, or you might set up a, a different type of agency, but then you still get an agent that represents your illustration side. So it's just kind of, it's like creating a new door for yourself. And you can have agents across the world as well. So you can have exclusive representation in the UK and then exclusive representation in the States, exclusive representation in the Far East, that kind of thing. And sometimes like certain agencies will have uh, offices across Europe. So maybe they might say, all right, well, we have you for London and Europe. Which is which is fine because you know it means that you could potentially get jobs from like France, Germany, whatever. At the same time as uh, getting jobs in the UK. So, so yeah, I would say that like me personally, since I signed with Snyder, but it's been a very interesting upward curve. But I'm trying not to depend too much on just purely doing agency work. 
yeah. I still think that I have many more things that I want to do. Like I mentioned before, graphic novel, maybe even making a video game, maybe even making vinyl toys, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like all that kind of fun stuff that I want to be known for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so moving on to uh, Doodle Club, what's that all about? Yeah, but yeah, Doodle Club, so that's interesting. I set that up uh, this year. It just as a means to meet new people. I I don't know what it was. I think I was getting kind of sick of just like, well, not, not getting sick of it. It sounds really horrible, but you know, like you have like a good group of friends and they just end up doing, we end up doing the same things over and over again, the same pubs. You don't tend to meet new people. And the only time you meet new people is when, I don't know, you kind of like, you meet one new person and they introduce you to new people. And so I kind of thought, well, I want to meet new people as well and keep all my current friends. But I always like the idea of hosting something. Mm. The Doodle Club sounded all right, the drink and draw night. You know, I just, I put some of my own money in, bought pens, paper, um, pens, paper, made stickers, made badges, and thought, cool, we're a club now. And there's a bar below our studio uh, that basically just gave me the bar for free, as in gave me the hire for free. Uh, cold, wet Wednesday night in January, and 100 odd people turned up for it. And over the course, I had no real aim for it though. So people always asking me like, oh, so what you, what's the purpose of the night? And I'm just putting it on. And over the course of the year, I started to find like interesting stories were coming out of people, like people turning up on their own and then making friends with people in the bar, like making friends with people every month. Hmm. Or like uh, people that used to sit on their own or sitting with people that they made friends with the month previous. You know, there's a, there's a level of familiarity over a level of time. That builds when you when you do a, a monthly meetup night. And with the night as well, I wanted it to be a, a really good like kind of entryway for some of my students to meet local creators. So I invited like uh, designers and artists like Tom J. Newell, Johnny Lamb was one of them, Lisa Maltby, Marcus Methods, uh, Lord Bon, like or loads of people like all from all different types of creative sectors. And you know my students and people that. Well, the important thing about Doodle Club was it wasn't just about having people at the draw. Like yeah. it's about anyone. Anyone can come and just draw. You never really spend time drawing. And a lot of people, you know, kind of would say like, I don't really spend time doodling and drawing. But it's like, yeah, but it's the most easiest thing you can do. All you need is a pen and paper. But it's like that kind of prescribed thing of sitting at a desk and drawing. But when people present with a blank sheet of paper, they don't know what to put on there. So with Doodle Club, it was all about like giving people prompts to work from. So we make our own doodle sheets. Nice. So a half-completed drawing sheet that they finish off themselves, and then we put up a list of prompts as well. You know, like doodle something that made you smile yesterday, doodle something that you wish you were, doodle something, etc., etc. That's cool. Yeah. So and and afterwards we collect all the doodles, we scan them in. And, I have this brilliant archive and stuff, but I don't know what to do with it. I mean, I want to make a publication, but it's fine. Yeah. But I think a publication would be the best thing, really. Uh, and even create an online archive as well. Yeah, and I'll carry on running the night since the next year. It, it doesn't take a lot to organize, but it is something that you have to think about with like, yeah. like loads of stuff on you, and you have to book it in. Where is it and uh, how can people sign up if they want to come along? Well, so it's in Sheffield. For now, looking for people to run their own in other cities, that'd be great. But um, uh, we run it at Neighbourhood, so there's a bar called Neighbourhood 
on Glossop Road in Sheffield. And it's a very nice chill space. Um, we run it from six to nine, uh, only the middle Wednesday of every month. Um, cool. So this is easy as that. The reason why we were at the bar downstairs is I was too lazy to haul like, all that crap. <laughs> but other bars across town, happy downstairs, it's fine. I've, I've really let rest on my laurels. And I'm challenging other people to kind of go, so, well, I can do one of these myself. It's like, yeah, do it, please. Just run your own. Run your own somewhere else. Give it a different slot. I don't care. You know, set up a community where people could come drink and draw. Like, drawing has been such a good expression for certain people who have had like stressful days and they'll come in and go, oh, I really enjoyed that. Even like, why do you think the coloring book business is booming still? Yeah. It's just something that you kind of zone in on and you just kind of like do it. It's, your phys- it's like a physical reaction to juggling lots of different things in your day. Like some people go to the gym afterwards or they go for a run. Mm. You know, it's, it's how people process their day. And that's kind of like what I've, what I've observed from doing the Doodle Club Nights. Absolutely, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I, I love it. I love it. I think, it's, I think it's like getting that creativity back in, back into people's days as well because people get sort of it sort of gets kicked out of people as they leave school and leave college if people are coming along and they're not they're not doing creative stuff from their day jobs people are coming along and and um and doing it do you get many people like that or is it more creatives that come a lot of people like that actually yeah Yeah. but like they 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 get on board with the message they kind of they don't get they don't get put off by the fact there's other people around and that can draw they just enjoy it and that's kind of what i that's kind of what i see there's a kid that comes with his mom and dad called Henry, and he's about he's eight years old, seven years old, and he is amazing. Granted that his dad is like a, he makes films, and his mom also works for like a really good like graphic design agency. And Henry just he absolutely enjoys it. Like he gets to hang out with illustrators at his age. You know, he gets to hang out with artists, and like everything that he draws is just fabulous. Like what I was saying, it's like pure, like it's a pure drawing, and he's one of many. He's one of many. Well, he's a creative kid, and he's like other. There's other people that are like, like there's doctors and like some students from politics and, and, and courses like that, that come in, and they just like hang out with their friends, have a catch up, and they draw, draw funny pictures of each other. Which you'd probably do the same if you had like loads of mates with you in a pub, and somehow there was like pens and paper on the table. And you'd yeah, absolutely. Drawing or like playing a fun game or like consequences or something like that. <laughs> Yeah. And people kind of always kind of say, "Oh, this is such a clever idea," and I'm like, "It's not really. It's just, it's just a night that I just put pens and paper down. That is it." It's great. Um, it's good though. Yeah. It's good. Getting people involved, yeah. meeting new people. Um, cool. Uh, what's, your, what, what's your best advice to new illustrators? Best advice to new illustrators. Mm. Um, okay. Best. Look at style in a different way. I'd say style is not the end game. I think style is like a pro- style is like the result of, of process. So um, concentrate on like process and message more. That's what I would kind of say. But like with style, I, I always make the same analogy to everyone. But do you think you still wear the same clothes you did like six years ago? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, if you probably don't, right? You probably don't wear this, or you probably don't look the same way you did uh, six years ago. So your sense of style has changed through an amalgamation of, of maybe like the music you like or the clothes, that's, uh, certain clothes that celebrities like, you know what I mean? Like all, your, changes, interests, yeah. all your interests feed you and, and, and how you kind of process that is like how you live, the music you listen to and all that kind of stuff. 
it's the same thing when you're kind of working on your craft. You, you might you might go to claymation in like three years time and that could be the process that could be like the basis of your new look you know of, of, of output so i'd say with illustrators it's not always about style but it's definitely always about persistent process so like carry on working on things um also other advice to new illustrators uh, take i guess take your time because certain certain people can have a grasp of like the soft skills, you know, like mm. confidence and and, and um, self belief, motivation, all that kind of thing. But some people, it takes longer to develop that. I was kind of the same. I wasn't very confident when I first came back from university, but over time that developed because I started to see results going my way. But take your time. Because with time, you know, it's it's not a race. Because who are you racing against? I mean, there's always going to be new illustrators that come out every year that make interesting work. They're not going to take your work. You're only going to take your work away from yourself if you don't, you know, get yeah. it out there. But it doesn't mean that there's no like time limit for that. You know, it does take time. Absolutely. And because otherwise, if you if you try and rush to be something that you're not, like all sorts of like identity issues come through. And, you don't want your work to reflect that as well. Your, your work to reflect, well, this is what's working around me at the moment, so I want to get a piece of it. I mean, like, you will probably get work that way, but in the long run, you'll probably feel less happy for going down a route like that. Yeah. It depends what kind of a storyteller you want to be or what kind of an artist you want to be. But, and this is why it takes time. You know, you don't know when you finish uni. You don't know when you first start. You have to really kind of um, let those thoughts brew for a while whilst you get on with the fun part of process. Mm, absolutely. Uh, what's your best purchase under £100? Best purchase under £100? That's a really good question, that. Who come back to that? Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The next question <laughs> is, uh, how do you want to be remembered? <laughs> I don't want to be remembered. Okay. Uh, yeah. Someone who kind of created, someone who created interesting worlds. Nice. Someone who kind of created a world that other people could dive into. Love it. That, yeah. That, like Disney, basically. But not, I don't want to be like Disney. But essentially, that's kind of why we. I think that's why we, like artists make work and why writers write. You know, they want. Everyone wants to kind of leave something behind. And I know it's, it's very premature to talk about this kind of stuff like death and whatever, but it's important to kind of have certain goals in mind that like you left something behind that, you know, you don't even know if it does have an impact, but you mm. can kind of tell yourself, there's got to be a kid out there that might one day look at my work and go, oh, I want to do what he did, or I want to draw like he did, but then make it my own. You know, because that's what happened with me copying Disney characters, you know, by copying Disney characters, I learned about what made those characters really interesting. And then I, I managed to take a part of that and put it into my own work. So, Absolutely. yeah, I do like create an interesting world that people could dive into. Awesome. Love it. Um, my best purchase under £100. <laughs> £100 would have to be. Oh, there's definitely a couple of books actually in there. Yeah, it's definitely. There's, a, oh, there's definitely a couple of um, graphic novel. Batman The Long Halloween, and that was about um, £25, I think. 
Nice. Yeah, that's probably the best purchase because it's like, I think when I bought that, that totally transformed the way I look at Batman and kind of made me realize. I'm a big Batman fan, even though like I love Marvel movies. Um, yeah, the story, the story in Long Halloween is amazing and the art style is great. And the fact that every villain features in the graphic novel, but it's primarily based on like the mafia families, mm. you know, I just thought, yeah, that's a great way to kind of like, Perfect. Uh, where can people find you and say hello and, and email you or, or Twitter you or, or Instagram you? Yeah, yeah, sure. So like, people can find me on Instagram at geolaw, which is G-E-O-L-A-W. Uh, people want to send me messages and say hi. I always get back to them. Twitter, I'm quite active on Twitter as well. So my handle is get a load of geo, which is like a really long, really long ass uh, handle, which I can't change now. But it's like get a load of geo. Uh, and my website is getaloadofgeo.co.uk, so it's more of my work. But Love it. More or less, like Instagram is probably the best mode to kind of get in touch. Wicked. Yeah, thank you very much for being on the podcast. It's been thank absolutely you. pleasure. No, it's been really fun, actually. Yeah, it's been really nice chat to you. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. Once again, go check out Geo, and also you can see him live at Creative Waffle Live 2019 on the 6th of July. For tickets, you can purchase them down in the description below, only £10, absolutely bargain for a night of design fun. You can come and meet other creatives and just have a good time, have a free beer on me, and yeah, listen to some good stuff about graphic design and, and illustration and the creative world. So I hope to see you there, and thank you very much for listening. Uh, let me know what you think of this podcast, share it around. Uh, it would really help. If you left a review, you get a Creative for pin badge, absolutely free. Uh, let me know once you've left the review, so I know who's left the review, because sometimes people's names on iTunes are, uh, are different to the to their actual names, which is strange. But, but yeah, let me know if it's not the same as your actual name, and uh, we'll get the pin badge out to you for no cost. So thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you in the next podcast.